no, I don't have enough ice. There we go. Oh, that's good. Clinky, clinky. So, I'm driving over here. Mm-hmm. The sun is setting. I'm on the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. Romantic. I'm uh, I'm just blasting through halls, cherry flavored halls. You know, lately on my road trips, that's been a a staple. I like to do my scratchers mm-hmm. and cherry flavored halls. Okay. Every now and then, a Ricola if I'm trying to party. Nice. Me, me and Tony are always like. You know, like, I think I need some medicine. Like, let me get you some halls, buddy. Yeah. You could, uh, you pop a toid or two. Toids are a professional's friend, for sure. I try <laughs> yeah. to keep a pack of toids in my in my backpack for videography purposes. For that first impression? Yeah, or for many. You know, if you're shooting a wedding. Oh, God. The last thing you want is to be running around with coffee breath. Mm. <laughs> Want to double check? Oh yeah, we good, baby. We're rolling. Ryan Shaw in the building. That so would dog. be me. Not a lot. Welcome to the podcast. To the podcast. It's been you know long time coming, probably. A long time coming, but it's good to have you here. Me and it's Ryan. Good to have you here. It's good to have me here. Yeah. Did I just say that? It's good to have me here. No, it's you said it's good <laughs> to have me here, but we're at my apartment, so we're in the lab. Yeah. Do you have a name for this place? No. Uh, it used to be the Boner Zone, and that was that's God. That's a dumb long story. <laughs> but basically, Will Bueller, friend of mine, did like all of our artwork for the Candlespit stuff. <clears throat> Still does all of my artwork uh, for any music I do. But we lived together for hell long, and he jokingly, like writing graffiti, started writing Boners One. And then one day he like wrote it all in a line instead of stacked one on top of another. And it just looked like it said boner zone. And then we just started, we were living in an attic in Oakland. So we started referring to the attic as the boner zone. And then he made like this big, like (laughs) scroll looking mural thing that we hung in the attic. And then it lived in all of my studios whenever I was moving around Oakland and then back to Marin. It's somewhere. Did I think it might be in my bedroom, actually, like under my bed. I think that Boner Zone's a pretty sick name for a studio. Yeah, except for when you're like now doing what I'm doing, which is <laughs> trying to be a professional and like <laughs> record dad rock. But um, yeah, it's kind of hard to pitch that to... Pitch that like, I see what you did there. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> Unintentional. But, but I feel like dad rock, I feel like dads would be hella down with the Boner Zone, dude. Yeah, I just, uh, that's not, it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> we're not calling it that. Dude, the, when you were living in that, in that attic, that wasn't that like artist house on San Pablo, was it? It wasn't San Pablo. It was, um, it was Broadway and 38th. Uh, that was the, f- that was the first place I moved to. It was, I guess, yeah, like, I guess if you want to call it the artist house, it was all CCA students and then me. Nice. Um, when I was going to recording school. Expressions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a big old non-graduate of expressions. Yeah, how do you feel about that place? Uh, I feel fine. Like, I I learned a good amount there, but I also had professors tell me to not be there. Like, yeah. they straight up were like, dude, you get it. Like, you're spending a lot of money. Just go work in a studio. 
And I was like, okay. And then I left. Um, but then I also didn't go work in a studio, so I kind of <laughs> dropped the ball there. It, it seems like a very expensive place to gain yeah, skills was, you could learn online. It was an expensive endeavor. The the thing was, and now this is what this is what blows for the kids who did graduate, is that one of the, the like the big selling point was like, hey, look at all our gear, look at all our studios. Once you graduate, you can come back whenever you want mm -hmm. to book any of this, rent any of this. And now that school's closed. Oh, damn. So it's like, uh, you know, the the people who spent like $100,000 to learn how to record stuff with the hopes of eventually being able to come back and be like, I want to use this SSL desk to track a band that, you know, and I don't have to pay for studio time and all this. And it's just like, mm, can't do that anymore. Yeah, so, I remember that was a huge if you selling were, point yeah, for if, a lot of people. If you were banking on that, you don't, you never, you don't get it anymore. So SAE isn't honoring that. I don't think so. It'd that. be really cool of SAE to do that, but I don't think they do. I don't think that they, they're upholding that agreement, which blows. But, yeah. you know, I, did, I wouldn't have qualified for it anyway, so oh well. I, I guess it mean, leaves more of a market share for the empire that is house call recording. Yeah, the growing empire that is invading the Paper Mill Creek Saloon. Every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, you got you got to start from the mid to oh, get yeah. to the top. No, you know? it's it's super fun. Like, I've loved doing it so far. Will you uh, explain to the listeners out there, yeah. what is HCR? Um, mobile recording. Okay. And the idea is just that most people aren't comfortable going to a studio. Most people can't afford going to a studio. Um, I've seen it happen in studios where people show up and then because they're nervous, they don't perform well. So it's like you wasted your money anyway. So my idea is it's like, hey, you know, all of this gear is so accessible now and you can make a record anywhere. Let me come to you to where you're comfortable. You're at your home base. Yeah, you know, let's record wherever you wrote it. If you wrote a song in your bedroom, let's record it in your bedroom. Why not? You know. I've got the wherewithal to make it sound good. Um, yeah, so I mean, it just it kind of takes the the not the guesswork, but like the nerves out of the recording process. So it's fun. It's going around throwing mics up in front of people and letting them do their thing, trying to be unintrusive. Yeah, I I like that. I I feel like that's the the ethos I try to bring when I'm shooting a band, like making a music video. Yeah. There's there's like the work that's done when when once you hit the red little button and start recording, but there's so much of the work is about setting up the context in a way that gets these artists comfortable totally. and goofy and feeling like they can uh, just relax and do what they normally do on yeah. a Tuesday night or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's just been it's been super fun, loving it. How long have you been recording people for? Recording people. I mean, technically since I was 17, right? If you consider the music that we were making in high school, recording each Boaz. other, which totally was. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> Boaz, um, who I might be working with this summer, which would be fun, doing a little jazz recording for, for the boy. Nice. Um, yeah, so I guess technically since I was like 16 or 17, when if I had to hit the record button for Taylor to rap, you know, technically that's me recording someone, but... Um, 
in a more serious manner, it's closer to when I started in at Expressions. So that would have been when I was 21, something like that. So I'm taking these off shit, now. So I can actually see you. Fuck, when was that? 2010? God, over 10 years ago. What uh, what first got you into recording? I mean, you were you were like an audio. I remember you doing all the audio tech classes at Drake. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what's funny is that I was a musician because I wanted to be an engineer. Hmm. And they're like, I fell in love with making beats because I liked mixing. Like straight up, I just was like, I had way more fun mixing. Also kind of dictated the way I made beats, which was just like sample this, sample this, sample this, blend it. How can I make this sound good? How can I make this snare loud without getting in the way of vocals? How can I make this kick big and fat without killing the bass line? Like that sort of stuff that I loved doing when I was in high school. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. But that was why I was doing it. And like, I, it seemed like everyone at Expressions wanted to learn how to record so they could be a musician. As where like, I was a musician because I wanted to learn how to record. Mm. So when I, when I went there, I was fully like down to be an engineer. And it just seemed like I was surrounded by a lot of people who were just wanted to learn how to record themselves or their band. Um, except for like, I mean, my buddy Nigel, who's the coolest, shout out Nigel Brown. Uh, he came in with like no experience ever in recording or in music. He didn't play anything and just was by far the best. Like he just was like, I'm going to figure this out. And he's... You know, now he like has a studio in Austin. Super cool. Super awesome. excited for him. So it's like there were people who were super down to learn the recording side. My buddy Kevin McCann, same thing. But it seemed like generally speaking, everyone there was just like trying, trying to, to trying record themselves. Yeah. I feel like that's how a lot of it gets sold or at least a lot of the people come in. And mm -hmm. it sounds like there's less uncertainty diving into a more technical based career track like there's a lot of demand for recording for engineers i hope so <laughs> <laughs> so that's what i want to do yeah um yeah i mean yeah but just essentially to answer your question it's just like got into recording because all right it, it's more the other way around that i got into making music because i was into recording you know what i mean so that's kind of how i got into that and then I wanted to start doing this mobile thing, and then the pandemic happened where I couldn't go to artists. Right, <laughs> Kind of right. threw a wrench in the works for uh -huh. like two years. I had that same thing happen where I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a freelance videographer and yeah. go shoot a bunch of stuff. And then I was like, I guess not. Yeah. I mean, were you fully set up, ready to go, and then the pandemic happened? I or had like my shifting? basic rig with one camera and – gimbal and mic and i was like definitely run and gun low budget style but mm -hmm. i was already doing shoots and was kind of ready to come off unemployment and mm -hmm. just like dive all in on it and then i mean pandemic was in a lot of ways really good even though there was less work it forced me to kind of take the time and develop the technical aspects yeah and um, started this podcast, started just shooting more often, like little projects with friends and stuff. And then, uh, this last year when things opened up, like I really hit the ground running and got a lot of practical experience in. Totally. Which I need to keep reminding myself when I'm like, I'm so far behind. It's like, <laughs> it's pretty good for like, yeah, you know, year five, but like really 
year two for mm-hmm. like really going all in on it. So yeah, I feel like the pandemic did that for everything. Where all of us feel like we're two, three years behind what we were supposed to be doing. It's like, oh wait a minute, everybody's going through that. Yep, and that was a big relief during, like one of the biggest reliefs during the pandemic was like, oh, every, we we can chill. Like everyone can kind of <laughs> yeah. chill for a minute, you know. Yeah. Self actualization. I can kind of, you know, put that. I don't have to feel quite so much pressure from society to, you know become this great manifestation of myself oh, yeah uh you know not you know that that being said i still was pushing myself pretty hard through the, throughout the whole thing because totally. that's kind of synonymous with mental health to me <laughs> yeah. um you 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 first were kind of doing the hip-hop performance thing were you recording at the were you running the recordings for your hip-hop projects as well or were you just doing um well I mean, if we go all the way back to high school, I didn't really know anything about recording. Mm -hmm. In the box, mixing a beat, doing that sort of stuff, mixing the vocals, getting like it was all still super foreign to me, but I had a good enough ear and kind of make it work. Um, Taylor did the recording just because I didn't know how to like work the programs and stuff. I I think we were just recording in GarageBand back then. But then once we were at Expressions, it was kind of a team effort because the other the two MCs, JB Nimble and Poe, uh, they were we all were at expressions together. So mm-hmm. like but I mean the three of us, if someone was rapping, someone was writing, someone was recording, whatever. So it was like, yeah, we were doing that. And because I was making the beats, I usually ended up doing a lot of the mixing. Um yeah. that was Candlespit Collective. Oh yeah. And that came together at Expressions. Pre expressions. Kind of. It's that's another crazy long story. I guess we got an hour. Yeah, plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what, what's tell me of the the epoch the, of Candlespit? The, the origin story. Yeah. Uh, when I was eighteen, going to College Marin, I was in a, a music theory class, and Poe was also in that class. And I remember coming into the class one day and like looking over my shoulder at the only other dude who didn't look like he was forty. <laughs> and he had a high row shirt on. He was fully writing a rap in his notebook. And I could tell he was like marking bars in the margin the same way I did and everything. And I was like, oh, I should like talk to this guy. So at the break of that class, I like went up, struck up a conversation with him, mentioned I made beats. Cause at that time, I didn't consider myself a rapper. But I fully was like, I make beats. And he was like, cool. So we went to my car. I put on beats. He rapped for like two hours. We did not go back to class. We exchanged contact information. I don't know if either of us ever went back to that class sort of thing. <laughs> um, but then like he cold called me a little while later and was just like, hey, I'm working with these guys, the understudies, Berkeley crew. The, you know, they need beats. I need beats. And I was like, cool. And I gave him a CD of beats. Didn't hear from him for a while. They had recorded a bunch of stuff. I never heard it. Then, like, stayed in touch a little bit, and then he called me again and was like, hey, I'm at Expressions. He got there a year before me. He's like, I'm at Expressions. I met this dude. We want to start, like, working together, and we need beats. So I gave him a beat CD that had 20 beats on it, and that was on, like, a Friday. I, like, gave it to him somewhere in Marin, like, met him at a Whole Foods or some (laughs) shit. Gave Gave him a beat CD. 
20 beats on it. On like Sunday afternoon, I get a phone call and he says, I need more beats. And I was like, oh, you didn't like those? He's like, no, we wrote 20 songs. I need more beats. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Okay. And then he was like, oh, by the way, you're in our band. And I was like, okay. And I hadn't even met JB Nimble yet. Okay. Um, And I was kind of in my head. I was like, all right. I mean, I know this dude can rap. I have no idea who this other guy is. This might be a disaster, but at least like I'm making music. This is fun. And then I heard a couple of the songs that they had done and I was like, oh, fuck. These dudes are good. And I was just like happy to be there. Mm -hmm. So I was just cranking out beats, rapping on songs every once in a while. But like, next thing you know, we're making a record in LA. Down the road, we're like working with members of Hieroglyphics. We're on tour. We're doing festivals in Michigan. We were like doing stuff and it just never quite got off the ground. But like, it's kind of how it happened is that all of a sudden I was in a band Mm -hmm. just because I gave a bunch of beats to a guy and... We've been hella good friends ever since. Still work together. That's I awesome. love those guys. But yeah, it's a uh, it's wild. It all just kind of happened. It's and then funny it how it kind of happened for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, just... I remember seeing like that one uh, music video that you guys made. The like, oh god, Le, Le Baguette oh, no, or the, the Char- Croissant Club. Le Croissant. That was. I hated that that song was the thing. Really? I love that, man. That was such a, such a cool but beat. But I feel cool like it's song. classically like that's how it works is yeah. that we were in L.A. We were recording. We had like tracked all the vocal for the record. And then we were just going to like start messing with arrangement, doing skits, doing overdubs and stuff. But so we had all this time in the studio still. So we like fucking jokingly, we had been going to the Croissant Club on Hollywood Boulevard all week because it was like a two-minute walk from the studio. And uh, jokingly, that morning or whatever, Poe was like getting out of the shower and just like laughing to himself. And we were like, what? And he was like, you can find me in the club, Lake Croissant Club on the boulevard. And we just like started laughing. Then we went into the studio. We were still joking around about it, like making fun of the whole situation. And then... Fucking the dude who was recording the record just started playing a beat and we started writing. We wrote, recorded that song and shot the video all in like a couple hours. And then that was the thing that people knew and I fucking hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) Because we cared so much more about so many other things we did. The video looked good. Uh It was silly. It was, and then yeah, Red Eye was on it. Who's a LA rapper. Uh, I don't know if De- I don't know if Darius sang on it. I can't remember if Darius sang on it, but Darius was definitely in the video. It was, was that just one like of your a... beats? No, uh, that beat was sick though. I'm I, glad you like it. I liked it. Uh, Maurice Williams made the beat. Okay. He was the engineer who did our first record. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that song was just ridiculous. And yeah, <laughs> I mean that's like the framework of a beat that we just never actually like. He never made the beat. Mm-hmm. It's like a rim shot and one synth, and we just rapped over it expecting that he would eventually flush out the beat and he gotcha. never did and that was the song i actually don't remember what the beat was i keep hearing like thrift store thrift store in my head no but i'm sure it was completely it's, different. it's literally like three elements it's okay. like two synth elements <laughs> and a rim shot i don't even there's not a kick or a hi-hat in the whole song really okay there's no bass line it's literally like it's we might as well mandela effect we might as well have been rapping acapella 
That's funny. Did you have a video team you were working with down there? No, it was a dude, Scott Martin, I believe his name was. And he he was he shot photo for us. He did he did visual he did a couple music videos for us. He was just super talented, cool dude. Um and he was I don't know like what our connection to him was, but somehow we landed to him and we're working with him and he was awesome. Um but yeah, he was just there that day with his camera. So he was like, Oh, I'll record you guys walking to the fucking croissant club to eat lunch. We'll shoot the music video on the walk. And then Red Eye worked at the croissant club and shot his verse in the kitchen, like cooking. I remember that. Because he was literally on his shift. <laughs> he almost got fired for that. And really? it was just like, this is the dumbest. And it, I don't know, people liked it. I mean, that's, but speaking of about, you know, performance, mm -hmm. there's an element, I think one of the reasons why that video was successful was because it was so casual. Yeah. Like the, like the pr production quality was high enough to where it was like, this looks like a video, like a mm -hmm. legit video. But then you guys were all so comfortable. There wasn't like a big put on. It's because we didn't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> like it wasn't an act that we were being casual. We weren't being like ironically uncool. Mm -hmm. We gave zero fucks about that song and that yeah. video. Like I didn't, we didn't know our verses yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like we re we wrote and recorded them like 20 minutes before we started shooting the video. Did you have notes? How did you do it? You just multiple takes? Hella takes. Of just like, all right, let's let's shoot Klops' verse nine times. Mm -hmm. And me by the end of it, I knew my verse. But it was, yeah, it was just super silly. Where did where does Cyberclops come from? How did you land on that, that as, your, as your alias? Well, that's what's that's another like funny, just ridiculous, like me, Scotty Lynch, Chris Meyer, Nick Giuliani. When we were all in high school, we loved rap and we loved to make each other laugh, and that was like it. And we all like just we used to just hang out and write raps just to try and make each other laugh. And we tended to make up a new rap name for each verse that we wrote, which would dictate what we were writing about. So like, I don't know, even Chris and, Chris and Scotty in college rapped under aliases that they would they would get off of like the lacrosse, like you like the highest ranked lacrosse players in the league. They would just like, t or in the in the nation, they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm Tad Erickson. And they'd be like, that's who I am for this verse. And like, but that's the sort of stuff we did. And the Cyberclops thing had been a joke running in our friend group. And I just started using that as my rap alias because I picked it because it was the worst possible rap alias. <laughs> like, this is so dumb. No one's going to like this name. It's not cool. <laughs> And it would make my friends laugh if I referred to myself as Cyberclops. And then next thing I knew, I'd never got a new name. Mm -hmm. So it was like, and I'm like on posters doing shows in the East Bay under that name. And people are like, what a fucking weird name. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's the point. But <laughs> Definitely I got some Deltron 3030 vibes yeah. about it. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's the origin of that is just that it was intentionally chosen as a bad name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that's, that is like, that is almost a trope, like that the hardest thing to do is pick a name for you know for your band and yeah, it has to be given to you in rap, right? Like if you decide on your own rap name, it's like deciding on your own nickname. It's really rough unless you come up with a good one, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't. But um, but then you hear it's like 
you so hear it enough times and the rough edges get worn off and mm -hmm. the next thing you know it sounds yeah. how many bad rap names are household names now that don't sound that bad because we've gotten used to them yeah but then how many great rap names are there because it's just their fucking name mm -hmm. Dell Nas Mike Jones Mike Jones <laughs> Bubba Sparks I was listening to him but like Andre yeah. Andre 3000 like it, across the board like I feel like all of the great rap names are just that's just their name, mm -hmm. you know? Like Opio, Tajay. Right. I guess, oh, I don't know. Yeah, Opio's his name. Yeah, Tajay. Like, names that you're just like, oh, that's a cool name. Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, no, that's just their name. That was when <laughs> we talked about this in the last episode, but I always felt like um, Bo Rat. I was always like, dude, <sighs> you have such... the best, your name so good. is the best rap name that I've ever heard. Like, and Marshall it's... Payne is like, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he was born with an incredible like, like, rap name. What a rap it's like, name! It's like if Max Slaughter rapped, he'd right, be like, exactly. "Yeah, dude, your name is Max Slaughter. Yeah, you don't exactly. need another yeah. name." Yeah, like I could just see him with oh, like a rap. barbell on his shoulders. Yeah, Max Payne. <laughs> or yeah, Marshall, Marshall Payne. Payne. He's the Marshall of Payne. Yeah. yeah. But the thing, the thing about the Bo Rat name that's unfortunate is that he picked it before Borat came out right. and no one, no one really got it. And it's like, if you're not from Marin, you don't know what a Borat is. Exactly. But fucking stuck. It did. And I, I, I like it. I love that name, but yeah, the, the Borat thing was super unfortunate. Like, Oh man. It's like all those shout out all, all the him? unfortunate women out there named Alexa, my homie <laughs> included. I have a good friend who I, I she's a, talented videographer shout yeah. out alexa alexa always making that joke she's like you know how many guys at bars give me hey alexa <laughs> it's like yeah or karen mm -hmm. all the poor karens out that's there. a rough one yeah i only know like all the series i feel your pain <laughs> series i don't know if that's as common a name but i'm glad you're not excluding I'm the surprised series there hasn't been a class action lawsuit against amazon for for the alexa name you know, Alexis of the world, unite. Let's mm -hmm. Yeah, let's start that. You've like, got a petition going. There's a link here in this video for a... Uh, for the class for action the, lawsuit. The class action lawsuit We're against not Amazon. a law firm, but, but we'll send us it your out. money and we'll figure it out. If you're a law firm... Reach out. Hit us up. We can make it happen. We're going to try and get everyone $18. Or like the word meta... Yeah, it was a pretty cool That's a word. a real thing, yeah. It was a cool word, and now Did ha yeah. it's just a corporate term. It's unfortunate. Protect our language, like the French. It'd be a fun rule that corporations have to make up a word to be now. They can't use pre-existing words. I would sign on to that if I was I'm in on Congress. Board. I think that that's legit. Like, get creative, folks. I mean, they do make up a lot of words. Tech industry is fill, like, filled with co companies that, like, drop an E out of a word and that becomes their... <laughs> I guess you're right. Uh, oh, what was it? I, I apply, I'm also, I've been looking at a lot of jobs, applying to a lot of jobs this week. And last night I was scrolling and I found this company that's... <laughs> someone made me laugh. It's Better, oh, no wow. E, B-E-T-R. And it's like an online gambling app. Oh, shit. I'm just like, I was thinking it was... It's at least kind of clever, you know? But, yeah. I was thinking it was like, like better help. Like right. it was like a like a, a wellness app. Right. Yeah, that'd be a little pretentious. More pretentious, I guess, than a gambling app. But even still, it's like you drop the E and suddenly it sounds techy. Yeah. Or just start it with a lowercase letter.
Yeah. Now that's design. That's true. Nothing says high quality design like lowercase letters as a logo. And missing vowels. Yep. Um who's your like dream get? Like who do you want to record more than anyone else? if you could choose anyone out there right now making music, mm. who would you record? It's tough because a lot of the people I would love to record, it's because I love their sound. So mm -hmm. I just would be doing an impression of an engineer. <laughs> you know? Like, I love Krungbin, mm -hmm. but I also just love the way that Krungbin is recorded. Like, they're great, but like, I listen to Krungbin because of the engineer. Or like all of the Daptone records. Mm-hmm. Great players, great songs, great arrangements, but it's the studio. It's the engineers. So it's like, who would I want to record? It's probably, it's local people. I'm stoked. Uh, Gardner Getz just asked me to potentially do a Soul Ska project, which okay. would be super fun. Nice. But yeah, I mean, it's probably Marin artists, like, who are just awesome players. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, who the best... I mean, the honey drops would be super fun. Mm -hmm. um, I finally met Bo, like Did you? in an official, nice, <laughs> in an official capacity. He's a good lad, which is hilarious because, like, I've probably been drunk within like arm's reach of him like a hundred times, but then finally we like had a conversation. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, you're Bo." <laughs> yeah, Bo's like didn't recognize you out in front of a drum set. Bo's just like that one of those people that's just the best at everything. He's yeah. a super cool guy. Like everything from drums, bass, you go to the, you know, the beach, he's the best at throwing bocce balls or ping pong. <laughs> yeah. or he's just, you're like, God damn it. So much yeah. talent wrapped up. He's a stunningly handsome man. You know? mm -hmm. um, I got to introduce you to Jacob because you guys could have some Jacob. interesting conversations. Jacob is, you know, the mythical fifth honey drop he's the, oh, he's their okay. engineer he's the nice. guy that's like the reason why they sound the way they do cool uh you know for he, I, he hasn't been touring with them recently but for like he, almost a decade probably he was doing all their live sound that's mm -hmm. why their shows all sounded so good yeah but we just worked together on this music video project uh in the beginning of december and yeah it's just such a joy to work with he's such a like easy mm -hmm. pro engineer guy that doesn't surprise me at all um i feel like that's the whole vibe with the honey drops everyone's yeah. super cool yeah. and super talented very it's editing their videos i keep it, it's like this emotional experience because i'm like okay great we got the video stuff set and then i'm in you know part of being a videographer who's also a musician mm -hmm. is like trying to keep your sanity with music that people want you to use on their videos or if you have to use like royalty free tracks a lot of times what business wants is not what i would play on the video yeah and so like part of it is like selling the client on a song that i can live with mm -hmm. and in and if that doesn't work at least finding a song that they can live with yeah when they aren't expecting to spend more than 50 bucks on a royalty Mm -hmm. so they're like i kind of want this song and they send me like some beautifully engineered track from like the 80s and i'm like yeah that was done in a studio for half a million dollars so, yeah you know um but with the honey drops it's like i'm like falling in love with the music as i'm making this you know making a video for them is like this process of like 
feeling so much emotion from the music mm -hmm. as I'm getting to make art over it. So that's really enjoyable as a result. Yeah. And I can imagine that that plays a huge part in the way you're actually editing as well. Like oh, you're yeah. making emotional decisions in your edits all of a sudden because you're excited about what you're hearing and seeing. That's got to be, I mean, it, similar to with recording and mixing, but I can, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's it, the best when you can all of a sudden start to lean on your like emotional instincts about totally. like, oh no, hold longer on this shot because I mm -hmm. like, we want to see th this is compelling instead of like cutting away just to like keep it moving, you know? Yeah. And I know them all so well now, like we've gotten really close over the last like six or seven years. So like, I kind of know what to look for and I'm able to, there's like things that I love about all of them that I'm looking for. It, I'll see it in the video. And I'll be like, Oh, that's like a look or a, a, a movement or something that I love about my friend. Mm -hmm. Spend enough time with them to know what that looks like. And it makes editing, yeah, more of an intuitive process. Um, but it, yeah, but also, yeah, when the music's that good, it really engages me. Uh, like I'm much more engaged when I'm feeling the beat and get, it's, it's totally. much more enjoyable process. The process of creating art to a song that you love is just mm -hmm. such a different experience. You know, it's, it's really the best. <laughs> do you, do you have a preference as far as the sort of edits and shoots you're doing? Like, would you rather be doing music based stuff mm. or are you excited? I mean, obviously you're excited about everything cause you get to, be a videographer, but mm -hmm. if you could have to like commit to making one kind of video for the rest of your career, mm, would it be music? Would it be something else? Like kind of a, you know, that's a really desert Island sort of a question. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I want to make, I want to be a filmmaker. That's definitely like nice. one of the capital D dreams, uh, down the road. I have, I have some movies in my head that been bouncing around and i think that like as far as running off into the sunset goes like that's mm -hmm. something i think i could do for the rest of my life and be really stoked like directing is my favorite part of the whole thing mm -hmm. um as far as videography goes music videos are up there like especially when it's music that i love um it's a really fun medium it's probably the least lucrative medium as mm -hmm. far as videography goes bands just don't have money uh but it's the most rewarding. It feels really good to turn in a, a music video and have the band love it. Uh, but lately I've really been wanting to do more comedy content. It's probably the art that I'm most excited about these days is comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think even going back to our days together at Drake, like six period video with Coover, I um, was already trying to do sketches and mm -hmm. like, we would do, remember we did this video that was like a freestyle running video at Drake. <laughs> nice. And it was, this was like before parkour took off. We were doing like it as a joke. Like what if there were just some guys that would like do three sixties over five stairs and mm -hmm. you know, I was a skateboarder. So uh, I remember that was a really fun video to shoot. Cause we would just, you know, try to do whatever stupid, silly, yeah. not amazing moves and, I kind of had this idea in 2020, this is like a pre-pandemic thing, but me and my, you remember my cousin Dorian? Totally. So I had this idea for a skate video that I still want to make someday, but 
the idea was like, hey, I have a bunch of friends who are like good skateboarders. They're not great skateboarders, but they're good skateboarders. Mm -hmm. And I had this dream to make a skate video of all my friends doing small tricks. Yeah. But shooting them like they're Super big serious, tricks. Yeah. yeah. And the name of the video is called Big Tricks. And it, so it'd be <laughs> like, you know, ollieing a five stair. You know, mm -hmm. it's like most people can't ollie a five stair. Yeah. But it's also not something worth making a video about. Exactly. No, <laughs> you know, there's kids these days that are doing like the craziest shit Fully. over that, over much bigger things. So like my idea was like, hey, like, let's get together a bunch of, you know, mediocre skaters who can land tricks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'll shoot it cinematically, like slow-mo. We'll make it look epic mm -hmm. and serious. But the comedy will be that, you know, a 50-50 grind off a ledge, you know? <laughs> Um, so me and Dorian went to Barcelona and we shot a bunch of footage in Barcelona and, um, went into the mountains of Spain and still have a bunch of great footage of him. And he's, I'm so impressed that dude still is working at his skating, like nice. hitting the skate parks during the off season, still like going for tricks that like, man, my ankles are so shot. It's just hurts to watch, but I, I couldn't even begin to imagine yeah. getting on a skateboard at no the dedication is he think he's probably 30 and i'm just like dude like yeah who's this for I, <laughs> I ate it hard enough once when i was like 16 that i'm like i'm good yeah. i don't need to do this exactly <laughs> i know he convinced me when we were shooting to get back on a board uh we hit this like super cutty skate park in west oakland it's like homemade it's like this cement park mm -hmm. like right under the freeway and I'm shooting him skate there. And then, you know, I used to be a bit of a skater. I always rode ramps and stuff. And I'm like, I'll get back on the board. And of course, within five minutes, I like try to do a rollover and the board just like something goes wrong with my balance and the board just mm -hmm. shoots up and I come down on like my hip, my wrist and my chest. My chest was like bruised for two months, my hip for six months and my wrist was like a year and it was like, I like to play basketball. I like to do like other things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, maybe someday I'll have a mini ramp and skate that. But it's just uh, the risks to reward is much higher these days. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I can't even. I, I, I wouldn't have like got on a sled this weekend. Like I wouldn't <laughs> have hopped in a saucer on the snow. I'm like, no, I'm good, guys. Do you snowboard? Hell no. I, my general rule is if my feet aren't on the ground, I don't want to do it. Even like, I don't want to get on a boat. Like, I'm going to die in a boat. Are you kidding me? Boats can sink. <laughs> I'm out. Not much of a swimmer, huh? Ah, I like swimming. So at least I feel like I'm in control, hmm. you know? Because then I can, like, I can swim out to a certain distance and be like, oh, fuck that. I'm going back. Like, I've gotten out to where I know I can swim back if I want. If I'm on a boat, hell no. <laughs> You just got to get that life vest, bro. I guess so. Get some water wings. Rock the wings. Yeah. Have you ever wakeboarded? Nope. Uh, Actually, yes. But I was in like fourth grade. Mm. So I don't think I was nearly strong enough to wakeboard. I couldn't even like stand up. But I also just was held like, on and got yeah, I was like, like this boat. sucks. I don't like this at all. Put me back in the boat where I can think I'm going to die the whole time. I uh, love, I love it. I mean, I still have the desire, like I, I'll ride 
I'll ride a mountain on a snowboard, but I'm not hitting the park anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to do tricks. It's like I'm content to cruise. Yeah. Maybe that's my new slogan, content to cruise. Content to cruise. Uh, I feel like that's the title of your memoir. Content oh. to cruise, the Hobart Owen story. Hobart Owen, content to cruise, a memoir. Actually, we should do like a yacht rock record called Content to Cruise. It's, it's a pretty good yacht rock name. It's really good. We could do like super dead Tony can drum, super dead drums, mm-hmm. really clean guitar. You can just play like unassuming bass, cheesy jazz chords. <laughs> and I'll, I don't know, I can do like a Michael McDonald impression. Yeah. Or scat. We that, could do like that scat. Works. Could, that works. Like, or Tony can just sing his guitar solos, you know? That's, that's pretty yacht Very rocky. Earl Cluey. I think that could work. George Benson. What we'd need to do is get my buddy, shout out Jesse Adams on the uh, vibraphone. Ooh, yeah. Get a little vibraphone thing going. I some, don't mind a vibe or two. Some synth tones. Um, yeah, no, I like Content to Cruise. I think that that would go silver in, I don't know, 1980. Is silver 500,000? I have no idea. It's not very many. Yeah. But also way more than I've sold of anything else. So I'd be. I'd be content. I mean, so I'd be stoked on silver. Nobody's doing silver these days. They talk about gold. Oh no, because gold is five hundred thousand, right? Silver must be like one hundred thousand. It's a big ass motorcycle. You think that picked up? That'll be fun to find out. I, d- you know, I doubt it because in Oakland there's like sirens all the time in the back. If you're listening, call in. Yeah. Call in now. Five five five. If you heard that. Five 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 five. If you heard that motorcycle. Yeah. What's, I com- completely forgot what you were saying. I'm it's sorry. all good. I, did I got too. excited by that motorcycle. Dude, motorcycles are exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, I uh, so I wanted to tell you about this story, but I got to meet Bill Walton over yes. the weekend. Yes, um, which was a really cool experience. Uh, a couple months back, my my uncle Greg passed away. Rest in peace. And he was an NBA player for a couple seasons. Um, Played for the Clippers and for the Trailblazers alongside Bill Walton. But he was more famous he for... Bruin, right? He was a Bruin. He was on like the, yeah. the famous, what is it, Fab Five Bruins team or whatever. I forget the actual title. Well, Fab Five was, that was Michigan. Yeah, so not yeah. the Fab Five. The, the Bruins version, the yeah. 60s team with Bill Walton that won all those championships. And he was the point guard and... You know, growing up, he's like the most humble guy and never really talked much about his career. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time, you know, by the time that I was around him, he had already gone through some pretty serious injuries and was like in a state of pretty compromised health mm-hmm. um, and just had the most unfortunate luck as life continued in and out of the hospital weird infections heart stuff Mm. you know his body just really deteriorated over like two decades uh so i always knew that he was a player and that he was you know a good player yeah bill walton was his best friend but i never got to meet him um so going to his celebration of life at bill walton's house uh it was just this amazing experience of you know, seeing all these people talk about this guy and who he was. And it's like, I was just talking about Bo, how he's like good at everything. It was like almost verbatim. The things that people were saying about my friend Bo at his wedding or like what everyone was saying about my uncle that like 
let's skip rocks. Oh, of course, Greg's the best mm-hmm. rock skipper. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, tennis, uh, basketball. Totally. Uh, he was an all-star beach volleyball player, like had a, a crazy career uh, on the beach volleyball circuit in Southern California. That was what he was more famous for as an athlete. Um, but hearing, you know, Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes, these like famous players, yeah, Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers, get up and talk about, you know, they were all on this Bruins squad together and he was the point guard. Mm-hmm. And they were just like describing his play as being like something that elevated them and that like in a lot of ways he was like the guy while they were playing with him. And mm-hmm. there's this famous story how uh, when Coach Wooden he went to the players because this was like, you know, the sixties counterculture. And he asked everybody, do you smoke marijuana? Mm -hmm. Bill Walton was like, no, of course not. Of course not. Why would I do that? Uh, Even though he was sessioning a lot of herb. Yeah. My uncle was like a couple times. Mm -hmm. And even though he like almost never did, my uncle was pretty straight edge, but he was honest. Yeah. And wouldn't, benched him for the rest of the season and they ended up losing that season. Jesus. Whereas the two previous ones mm-hmm. with him on the court, they had, they had won. But it was just like hearing these guys that were like all stars talk about my uncle in this way was really rewarding and cool. Yeah. And, um, getting to hang with this one funny thing, you know, Bill Walton, I was introduced to him. He kind of like right away remembered my name. He just kept saying it like, he kept introducing me to other people, and being <laughs> nice. like, you know, Jeff, Mike, Hobie, you know, like uh-huh. really getting it down. Yeah. And, uh, and then later in the night, uh, I was there with my brother, Tony, and he came over and, uh, I was like, yeah, me and the Chone. And he's like, who? And I'm like the Chone. And I pointed to Tony and he's like, John. <laughs> and he was like, uh, oh man. This is, I just got a total brain fart. Um, who's Animal House? Who's the guy? From John Belushi. He's like, John Belushi. He's like, what are you, John Belushi? And he just kept calling Tony John, John Belushi, Belushi for the rest of the night. Spectacular. Uh, which was awesome. And it just, you know, it was cool seeing someone like Bill, who's just got such, I mean, he's a radio personality. He's been yeah. broadcasting for forever. Forever. And you see the like professionalism leak into everything they do. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been around a couple of different famous people and seen how they manage like fans and people getting all like starstruck and excited. And he just was so graceful at yeah, like taking that energy and like aikidoing it, giving oh, people yeah, what yeah. they want. Yeah. Throwing it right back at you. Yeah. I've only ever heard cool things about Bill Walton. Yeah. He seems like, like, as much as he's like become like the butt of jokes in NBA circles and in basketball nerddom, mm-hmm. he like is so undeniably passionate about the sport and just like waxes poetic and romanticizes. And like to me, that is the coolest, most honorable way. Cause that's like, it just seems like that's how Bill would act about anything he's passionate about and it would be insincere for him to just be an analyst. Right. Like, yeah, he should, if he's going to talk about the Arizona Wildcats, he should also just randomly start talking about the Grand Canyon for five minutes (laughs) and then somehow at the end talk about 
how important basketball is in the way that the Grand Canyon is important. And you're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I'm so into this. Uh-huh. But yeah, he's he just seems like the most genuine, cool dude. And I'm happy that you like got the opportunity to like it's one thing when you go to a celebration of life and you hear people say nice things. It's a completely other thing when people who you like look up to say nice things about that person. And I I know that, you know, I don't think you like idolize Bill Walton, but you appreciate Bill Walton. Oh yeah. So then to hear him talk about your uncle must have been super surreal, but also like really comforting and cool. Like how did you feel that way or was it was it was it too surreal? Was it just like, "Oh my god, look Bill Walton's talking about my uncle." Or was it like I don't know, relieving? Was it exciting? Like how how did that make you feel to see somebody who you've your whole life Bill Walton has been a person in the zeitgeist? It was you like know? being given a different like they gave me an insight into into my uncle that I didn't know existed. Hmm. It was like getting it was this really precious gift of hearing these people that, yeah, like you said, like I, I don't have a poster or a Jersey. Mm-hmm. I've always like been a fan. I, I even told Bill Walton this. I was like, your role in little Nikki as the oh Globetrotters announcer with your hair on fire. I completely inspired. forgot he about like, that. He was like, it was some of my best work. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible i completely forgot yeah so like to hear but uh, but you know to to me it was just kind of a trip like talking to someone who i'd played as in 2k you know like (laughs) i've played i've played throwback lakers squad the lakers classic as jamal wilkes plenty of times Mm -hmm. and going up to him next to the like buffet and I started talking to him and I was like, Hey, I, you know, I, I was just like, thank you for sharing that about my uncle. I never had heard these stories before. And you gave me this like amazing new insight into who he was as a young mm-hmm. man. And he looked me right in the eyes and he was just like, super cool. And he was yeah. just like, thank you. Like that was super real. And I appreciate mm-hmm. you. And also your uncle was, I got in the league and I was like, who's this guy? Like, damn, I didn't even know what, to, you know, he gave mm-hmm. me like, a real moment. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they, they, it was a little bit surreal, but, um, you know, it was also like we're in Bill Walton's house and it's the funkiest house, like ceiling to floor photos on every surface. Cool. It was like a museum. It was like basketball history combined with the Grateful Dead because he's yeah. like the biggest deadhead. Dead so head. like, all sorts of crazy custom Grateful Dead art and mm-hmm. then like drums and Mickey Hart accoutrement mm-hmm. and then like interspersed with that are like clippings and like, you know, they'll just be like, you know, Walton's high school jersey on the wall or, mm-hmm. you know, all these um giant robes. Because I guess for years, Bill Walton would dress as Father Time for New Year's Eve and go to the dead shows. Nice. So like throughout the house are these like seven, seven foot, foot tall robes. wizard robes <laughs> with like <laughs> homemade designs on them. You Amazing. Know? And uh, yeah, so that was cool. And you know, my cousins grew up with at that house. Like my, yeah. uh, my cousin Ethan, I don't know if you've met him. I don't think so. Um, and Jessamine, they grew up playing at that house. 
It's That's a big wild. part of their childhood. Yeah. They grew up with the boys, with the Walton. You know, Luke Walton was super close to my cousin, and um, and Chris Walton, and um, and Nate. So like, it was also an insight into this zone that my cousins have told me about for years, mm-hmm. and also getting to walk with them, and they're like reminiscing. Oh, we did this behind the. You know, mm-hmm. we ran down to the canyon, or we used to throw rocks at that bush, or you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and then to, to cap it all off, you know, getting to go, we were outside. We went out to like their basketball court because uh, Bill Walton's wife, Lori, wanted to show us this like really cool custom shower in the okay. back house. It was <laughs> nice. like this grateful day. They had like a reality show come in and they basically got them to build them a custom Grateful Dead shower for the show. Spectacular. And so she showed us that. And Did it have like dancing bear? It was like the, um, I forget what it was called, the skull with the lightning bolt. And like, it was all done in this beautiful blue tile. Amazing. I took some photos. Um, But then I was like, you know, it's the basketball court. I like to play. Mm -hmm. Looking around in the garage, like, is there a ball? You Mm -hmm. know, go in the bathroom, find a rack of balls. I'm like, hey, Lori, like, can I put up some shots? Like, is that cool? Like, I don't want to overstep. But like, Mm -hmm. she's like, oh yeah, totally. It had been raining. It was all wet outside, but- I was out there in my like dress shoes and my button up shirt mm-hmm. and my two little cousins, uh, my cousin, Jasmine hurt her. She has twins and they're like 13 and they're not really into sports. Like I was, yeah. um, I was talking to my cousin Donovan, he's 13 and he's like my height and he's going to be like six, four. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can just see in his legs, he's growing. Mm-hmm. His grandpa is Greg, who's gotcha. an NBA. And I was talking to him during the celebration of life. And I was like, dude, like, you should start playing basketball. Like you're going to be tall and people are going to be coming mm-hmm. up to you, like wanting to play. And he's like, I'm a surfer, man. I don't, I just want to surf. He's really into surfing. Nice. And I'm like, yeah, but you should still go should think about I'm it. Like if I was your height, I would, yeah. you know? And, uh, so we get out on the court and, um, I started putting up shots and then, you know, I, I awakened the young fire and suddenly he's, he wants to take some shots mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, next time we hang out, let's go. I'll, yeah. I'll show you some shooting. Let's stuff. go to Mosswood. Exactly. I'll take <laughs> you out, you know? Because, you know, this is the last year that I'm not the shortest person in oh, my yeah. family. And so I'm trying to milk it for all it's worth before <laughs> my youngest cousin gets gets above me. Tony, Tony's taller than you? Tony's been taller than me since like sophomore year. Weird. I just think of you guys as being the exact <laughs> same height and shape. Like yeah, we reach like parody, little cookie like, cutters that just boop boop. There's Hobie and Tony. Yeah, I mean, for many years, uh, yeah, I think we reached parity in sophomore year of high school, nice. junior year, and then. That was me and my brother when I was in eighth grade, and he was a junior in high school. He wasn't happy at all. A lot of people don't know that it's shorter brother. Like the older brothers are pretty often. I feel like it's a thing. Not as tall. Yeah. Uh. Which is funny because a lot of people think I'm younger than him, and I guess that feeds into that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he squeaked out a couple more inches on me in his that early twenties. I was like, "God damn, fucking it. asshole! What are you gonna do?" Um, do you have any other projects this year that you're fired up about or that you're jumping into? Uh, yeah, got a couple rap things that are hopefully gonna come out because I haven't actually released anything since like 2016. Um. One of them's a project that I did with Poe, who was in Candlespit. Um, and it was something that started during the pandemic because it was straight up just like, well, I haven't made a beat in like five years and mm-hmm. I'm stuck in my apartment, so I guess I'll make beats. 
made a handful of beats. He wrote a handful of songs. It's called Irish Coffee. Okay. Uh, I rap on a couple things. Nice. There's a little crew cut that's got Browse and JB Nimble on it. Fucking good songs. So oh, yeah. that should come out soon-ish. I just got to like really polish the mix and then uh, get it mastered. But that, and then I did a project with Deacon LF, did all the beats, and then it's five rappers. Me, Browse, JB Nimble, Poe, Kevorkian. Is there someone else? Did I miss someone? Bro, let me know. We I can, feel like that's it. We can mish over to Barton's and I'll shoot you guys a video, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In the bagel store? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, that, um, that's tight. Are you still using Reason to make your beats? Yeah, but again, I haven't, I haven't made a beat since I made beats for Irish Coffee. Yeah. Um, and that was 2020. So okay. it's been two or three years since I made a beat. Um, but yeah, Deacon LF made all the beats for this other project. We wrote a bunch of songs remotely, and then we game-planned around J.B. Nimble coming back to the Bay Area for Hardly Strictly. Because he's, on his mom's side, he's a Hellman. And that's Hellman Grove. Oh, yeah. Like, they they are Hardly Strictly. Yep. So he comes back from the East Coast for Hardly Strictly every year. So we just game-planned, like, okay, well, uh, I guess when uh, Jesse's here... He'll like sneak away from the city for a night and we'll try and record this whole record. So we did that in Mill Valley. Um, friend of the family was out of town and I was like, can I use your house for a weekend? And they're like, yep. So we tracked a bunch of vocal at this house, a bunch of dudes, super fun. So that's another like seven track EP thing that's eventually going to come out. Dude, I probably I probably was in the same room as that dude. I I bartended a uh, Hellman family. Did you I hardly strictly guarantee. like after party once? Yeah, and it was uh, it was funny. I mean, it was like you could just smell the money in the room. But oh my god! Yeah, we were pouring bottles yeah, of, of um, what is it? The Don Julio like eighteen forty two or whatever. Oh my god! It's like fifty bucks a shot at the bar. Yeah, and I'm like. I got my little glass on the side because it's delicious. It oh has like God, this yeah, little bit of vanilla. So drinkable. It's the best tasting uh, tequila. But I'm like, you know, the whole night, every time someone comes to the bar, I'm like, well, we have beer, wine, or you could drink this $50 shot tequila. Mm -hmm. And I kept like pressuring people to, because as yeah. the bartender, oh, it's an open bar, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get everyone sauced. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they, maybe they weren't as impressed as I was about the 15. <laughs> I was like, this is. No, that's uh, best. Best thing about Jesse is that even though his family came from some money, he never. It, I'd never. You never would have known, right? He's so down to earth, super talented. No, super they're cool, super cool, super family. hardworking. Everyone was super yeah. nice. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things that again, like I was like astonished to find out that they had some money. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's. Awesome. Like it's one of the, every once in a while you find out that someone has money and you're like, good for you, man. <laughs> right. Like instead of like everyone's, a lot of the time you find out someone has money and you're like, that fucking piece it's, of you're shit. You're like figures. God damn. Yeah. This son of a bitch. And instead I was like, nice. Yeah. Cool. You guys are going to do good things with that. <laughs> I fully am happy that you are people who have a little bit of money. Um, 
Man, but like the craziest thing about that is just the Hardly Strictly thing for me is just that like he performs at Hardly Strictly every year. Right. He's like the only rap act. Mm-hmm. I did. I think I've done two sets at Hardly Strictly because of that, which is oh, wild. Nice. Yeah. yeah. One was just like running the set for him, and I think I rapped on like one beat. Um. And then there was another show where like we did a whole bunch of stuff together. But yeah, that's awesome. Super. Super surreal. How was the sound on stage there? Great. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you have in ears or? No, they were just vocal monitors on stage. And we, we were doing one of the little, the like, it's like a Airstream trailer stage right. sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, but there are still, you know, thousands of people watching. Totally. But yeah. Those were fun sets. That was, I don't know. When was that? 2014? I don't know. It's all a blur. I'm curious, uh, in the art of engineering, mm-hmm. how much, how do I phrase this question? The balance between following form when it, when it comes to building or recording design sure, and versus like creativity that you're able to employ, like how creative can you be mm-hmm. in how you choose to record something? Um, so the biggest thing that I learned at school for this and that I've heard reinforced talking to people or like reading interviews, watching YouTube stuff and hearing it echoed is that like there's no right or wrong way to record things. There's just conventional and unconventional. So it's like, you know, like any craft, you have a set of tools and you can use those tools however you want to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So as long as you get it to sound the way you want it to get, then you did it right. So when it comes to being creative, it's just like, what tools do you have and how can I use them? And there are like tried and true ways of like, put an SM57 on the snare top, things like that, that are just kind of no brainers. Um, But you can also put whatever you want on a snare top if it's trying to get you closer to whatever you're attempting to accomplish. So, like, you can be as creative as you want as long as you're being educated about it, right? Um, which is super fun. Like, that's, like, my favorite thing is just trying to, like, anytime I'd, I'm going to work with an artist, I always have, like, a meeting beforehand, that is straight up me just being like, okay, I've heard some of the songs you want to do. I understand your genre, all of that. But like sonically, I have no idea what you want to try to accomplish. So what are some of your favorite records? And it's like, like tell them like, regardless of genre, it might be someone who's like a singer songwriter, but their favorite record of all time is Beastie you know, Boys. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's Paul's Boutique. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we can work with that. I can make your singer songwriter stuff sound like Paul's boutique. And that sort of thing is what's fun is trying to get from point A to point B. And in between that is all of your recording and mixing decisions. Um, And to get there, like if your singer songwriter wants to sound like John Mayer, it's going to be a lot more conventional road to that. 
But if your singer-songwriter wants to sound like Pantera, you get to be more creative in how you get there. Um, so it's it's fun. So yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question, mm-hmm. but yeah, there, there's no right or wrong way um, to do, do you, anything. Do you ever research like if you do have like an album that you like the sound of or that you're trying for, do yes. you research how it's how it was done? Fully. Like uh, uh, I was doing a – I mean the biggest thing is like I can hear a lot of those things, but if I hear something in a sound that is super specific, um, like if someone says – trying to think of an example of like a recent – uh, had a uh, doing a record for like a pop punk sort of band and they sent me a bunch of Weezer and I was like yeah okay cool Weezer but really what it informed is just like how big is the bass drum in this mix how big is the snare where are the guitars how what are the vocal to snare balance that sort of stuff um because I could hear most everything else. Like if someone were to send me something like Krungbin, good example to go back to Krungbin. If I hadn't known things and someone sent me Krungbin, I'd be like, how'd they get the fucking drums to sound like that? Um, and I'd have to go research it, but it would be like, oh, cool. So like, here's their miking technique. They just play super soft, but they record super hot. So the drums sound giant, but they don't sound like they're being smashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so like those are the sort of things that like that would also inform the playing, not just the recording style. So it's like just doing that little bit of research up front. If someone sends me something where I can't actually immediately hear what it is that they're doing, um, then yeah, I'll definitely go do that research. But a lot of it is also just like, the simplicity of, oh, yeah, I want my stuff to sound like Amy Winehouse's drums on uh, Back to Black. You're like, okay, cool, one mic, uh, a lot of snare bottom, got it. You know, you can make those decisions just by hearing the song once. Um, so did that answer the question? Yeah, that was great. Let's <laughs> pause real quick because this camera just – my camera turned off. I think we ran out of batteries. Ooh, exciting. So. We went for four hours and 21 minutes. Exactly. Hold on. We're back. Putting these... We're back. These noggin noises half, back on. Half headphone, mm. and we're back. Ow. Um, what do you think, in your humble opinion, what is the greatest sounding record of all time? Oh, shit. From a recording stand, from an engineering standpoint, um, I feel like that answer would change, like hour by hour. <laughs> yeah, very much depending on the mood I'm in. Because some days I'm like, "Oh, the Brown album by Primus, it sounds like shit in a good way," mm-hmm. or "Asia" by Steely Dan, because it's pristine and perfect. Um, or like honestly. One of my favorite sounding records of all time is Spirit and Stone by the Lifesavers. Uh, like from a hip-hop standpoint, that's the best mixed rap record of all time, I think. Mm. Every beat is perfect, big, fat, crunchy. 
in your face, but not harsh. There's room everywhere. All of the vocals are recorded really well and just like, and the songs are great. Um, so like, that's, that's a decent answer for me. But like, uh, God, the best sounding album of all time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love Mordecai by Krungbin. I feel like it's just like a sonic masterpiece. Asia, Steely Dan is really fuck. I mean, that's that's on a lot of people's list. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow, that's it's kind of tough, but I'm just now I'm just thinking of like my favorite albums, which I think kind of plays a part, but also like it's it's tough because there's. There's probably a really good answer out there that right. is an album that I don't like, uh -huh. but it sounds great, totally. and I don't even know what the answer would be, you know? I like it. You're a Marvel fan, so I think you'll be able to appreciate this, hmm. but whoever's job it was to choose the playlist for the Guardians of the Galaxy oh, tapes. nailed it. Like, to me, that, like, 70s pop era of those songs, mm -hmm. there's something about the quality of all those recordings and whatever yeah. masters they found for the film. Yeah. Those songs all sound so good mm -hmm. in those movies. Well, I'm sure those all got remastered for the film. Totally. One, so they could be, you know, 5.1. Mm -hmm. I guess bigger, 7.1? 7 .1? 7 .1, I don't know. At this point, now it's Atmos. Like, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, those were, like, just... Think, like sonic branding almost to the point where when I hear some of those songs now, I'm just immediately like, huh, Star Lord, nice. <laughs> you know, like I don't I don't think about the actual artists anymore. I'm like, oh yeah. Rubber band makes you think of Star Lord. Oh, yeah. Um I'm trying to think like what I can't even remember what the first song is with him dancing through the cave and like kicking all the little aliens and stuff. Oh, it's um uh Come it? and get your love. Yeah. Is that Redbone? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Redbone, I think is the name of that band. Okay, yeah. The or I just said F is something. for Family theme song. Or I just said something racist. I don't know. Um, Probably. Probably. Um, the uh, You ever get into Shuggy Otis? Yeah. Because his th those songs are all so mm -hmm. well produced. Oh, I mean, I guess that's the other answer is Back to Black. Amy Winehouse. Okay. Might yeah, be the best word. sounding album of all time. Favorite. That or Naturally by Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings. That's a good one. Um, I think about like, uh, man, my brain is all over the place. Oh, some of those Sly and the Family Stone albums, like Fresh yeah. to me, which, you know, that's my favorite funk album of all time, mm -hmm. which was recorded in Sausalito. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got to go a couple episodes ago. Gardner's like redoing the whole Studio B cool record plant in Sausalito. Yeah. So we did a podcast from there and walking around in that studio, dude. It's like, That's like super oh, fun. there's uh, Sonny and Cher's inputs are still labeled <laughs> on the wall right there. Oh, there's like the cigarette burns that Sly Stone left mm -hmm. in the bathroom when he was living here. Oh, yeah. like, Stevie Wonder recorded in this room, mm -hmm. uh, songs in the key of life, like so much history in the walls and yeah. the the design, you know, the whole vibe in, in that studio is really cool. That's like, that's something that's kind of crazy is that as 
awesome as the accessibility of home studios is now, we're going to lose out on creating new history as these record labels, like smaller record labels and studios start to disappear. You're going to, like some of those buildings are eventually not going to be there anymore because nobody's going to go to those studios because it's just not 100% necessary anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully the what will come back is just like if everything really is, you know, a big circle, we'll get back to a point where people will get excited about and labels will put money into putting a bunch of bands in a room to record again. But I feel like so many artists are just like making their record on their laptop and tracking vocals and going DI Mm -hmm. with all their guitars and keyboards that you don't really need a studio anymore. Um, Just a home studio. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just, it's a bummer to me that like fame studios or like, God forbid, Daptone, they're going to be fine. But, like, there are certain certain rooms, like you were just talking about, Record Plant or, like, Black Blackbird's going to be fine. They're never going anywhere. But these places that are just... Iconic. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think that's what's so cool about you and my brother teaming up to do some stuff. Oh, my because, God, I'm so excited about that. You know, just like you described, you know, the ethos behind House Call Recording. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of alignment with what my brother's doing, which is, you know, he's trying to design this studio that's like that step between the home studio and the like big pro studio where it's like, you can come in this place. that's going to have a vibe. It's going to have these characteristics. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the big pro studio, but it's going to be like the prosumer. You know, I want to get something a little bit more than what my home studio can deliver. Oh, this guy's got all this analog gear. Mm -hmm. He's got this, um, appreciation for an older aesthetic Mm -hmm. and you know with the two of you teaming up i think that there's a lot i think there are still a lot of artists that are seeking to capture you know those feelings in a totally modern context and I i know for tony like he's so enamored with the old workflow Mm -hmm. and uh you know as he continues to develop his art i think that there's a, a big role for him to do more producing and he's got yeah. so many ideas about how things should sound and music. But I think that having someone like yourself there to also like bring your ideas in, push back against some hit, you know, he needs to have that, like any good working relationship is like these people to like hone your craft with. And at times to be like, I'm, I'm doing things in this certain way. And sometimes you need another person to be like, Hey bud, why are you doing things that way? Totally. <laughs> you know, if, yeah. that, if for nothing else, just to understand, oh, why, why am I doing things that <laughs> way? You know? Yeah. No, I'm super, super looking forward to when we finally get to like get the ball rolling on, on Tony's project. Cause yeah, he's got cool gear and he's got a cool little space, but mostly he's just got really cool songs. Yeah. And it's about time that those get put to tape and oh, yes. get, get put together and and see the light of day instead of just being trapped in his shony little head. Totally. Yeah, I know people get like angry. Mm-hmm. Like we went on this Guatemala tour this year and he 
brought his guitar and was playing music for all these pretty hippie girls and like people were like outraged that he hadn't that they couldn't find the music yeah, anywhere. Like, yeah. what the fuck I mean, this is the spotify age why, i want i want your yeah. music why can't i find it you know yeah and That's, you know not to change the subject but this yeah. is just something that i've seen recently that i thought was hilarious is that i've been to now like two or three shows out at the paper mill um where tommy's playing with somebody and it's literally just like, oh, we're going to go play music. Not a band. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, it's Eli and Bo. Or it's, uh, you know, Matt and Sean. And they're just or John and someone. And they just like throw together a set. They play a bunch of music. And there are people like shouting at them like, what's your band name? I want to <laughs> look you up on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, you can't. Yeah, like yeah. just enjoy the music right. in the room right now. Exactly. Learn what their names are. Yeah look for them because they play around Marin all the mm -hmm. time. Like you can go see any of these dudes play any night of the week. One of these yeah. guys is playing somewhere. Get so to know the live hilarious. experience rather yeah. than wanting to like own the curated experience or whatever. Yeah. Like you don't need to have everything on demand all the time. You totally. can live in the moment. Kind of sound like such an old man. But it seems like there could also be room for kind of a, a Dick's Picks type scenario. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dick's Picks. Not but. familiar. So like, I think one of the cool, unique properties of the Grateful Dead that set them apart from mm -hmm. almost every other band was the fact that they welcomed people to come and record oh, their live sets. Oh, absolutely. Yes, right? yes, yes. So you had these different uh, individuals who naturally like became raised in the community as being people that made really good recordings. Mm-hmm. It's one guy, I don't know if his name was Dick, but the, the the recordings are called Dick's Picks. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. And some of the best, you know, Grateful Dead you can find are the, on these Dick's Picks, mm -hmm. you know, live shows. Me and Oscar grew up with Dick's Picks Volume 6. <laughs> nice. More Dick's Picks 6? Yeah. The, the disc 2 is is really a great one. Um, but I'm saying, it may, you know, as you're talking about the paper mill, it makes me think like, man, it'd be really cool if like, Someone with a mobile recording rig, you know, was able yeah. to set it up on these nights and capture that. And it doesn't have to be a, a underneath the umbrella of a band or a yeah. particular thing. It just can kind of almost be this like grassroots totally. thing I've, that, you know, gets circulated. Yeah. I've had like a daydream of if I ever had a space big enough to put a whole band in a room, I would love to start doing a project that was basically that where like once a month I just hit up a bunch of my player friends. They sit down in a room and they play for like 45 minutes and I track it and I mix it and you put it out just mm -hmm. as like a session mixtape and just like try and put like one out a month that is like, you know, album length jams yeah, and just be like, here's this thing. And it can be spacey, it can be funky, it can be hard, it can be jazzy, it can be whatever, depending on what's played in the room that night and who's there. Um, and yeah, that's something I've wanted to do now for a while, and there's just, I don't have a space for it. I can't put, you know, between three and six dudes in a room, or ladies in a room, or non-binary people in a room to just fucking shred. But that's the dream. To be at a place where I could be like, oh, yeah, I can block one of these days off a month <laughs> to just do this thing. Yeah. 
and just like put a spotlight on all these players in the Bay Area that I feel like are just sort of they're playing sessions, they're gigging, they're doing shows, but like you only know them if they're in Soul Ska, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> or in the Honey Drops. <laughs> you hear that, Tony? Yeah, Get your damn studio built. Yeah, that is. I think that is the type of stuff that I'm hoping will go down there. And totally. I know I'm going to be wanting to, you know, shoot a lot more with him when he has people coming in. Um, well, Shawshank, um, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. It's, it's cool being in here in your studio. Yeah. Making a house call at house call. Uh, before we go, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? What's, what are the best avenues? That's a wonderful question, Hobart. Um, I've got a house call website that I think is up and running. Uh, it's just hcrecording.com. Um, I'm house call recording on Instagram. I think that's all the recording stuff. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. <laughs> but nice. yeah, if uh, if you need recordings done, if in the people Bay do want to check out your illustrious rap career, your oh, music boy. side, Cyberclops, C Y B E R C L O P S. Uh, I'm not even sure what is and what isn't on Spotify anymore. I haven't updated a SoundCloud or Bandcamp since like 2016. Okay. But yeah, if you just type in Cyberclops, actually, I think there's like a villain from a, like a, a video game called Cyberclops. So if you type that in now, I think it's harder to find my music. <laughs> but yeah, if you were to type it in and just type rap or whatever mm -hmm. other keyword in there it's it's out there canvas Square collective yeah yeah well thanks man sick bro this is fun thanks for coming on dog yeah dude and thanks uh, for having me also you guys should all know that you know starting like two or three episodes all these episodes are being mixed by <laughs> oh yeah that the man himself so yeah we have ryan to thank for making my recording sound just a little bit better. Hopefully you've heard <laughs> an improvement. Yes. Hopefully hope I'm so. doing a good job. Hopefully, Tony, you're not going to be coming at me anymore. So <laughs> thank you all. We love you. Peace. Peace.